All right, so Ephesians uh, 6. How about we get a, a running start back in verse 10, and we'll read uh, down through uh, about verse 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We'll just stop there. And just verse 15 is what we're going to look at. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So beloved uh, a congregation of hope and everyone with us here. Uh, I, one of my seminary professors uh, said that he asked us a, kind of a loaded question. What's the most important thing you wear at any given time during the day? Of course, we know what the answer is. We're looking at shoes, right? None of us guessed it. We all thought shirt, belt, pants, right? Whatever stands out. But he said shoes. People notice shoes because shoes tell a story. Shoes tell where people have been. Shoes tell where people are planning to go. Uh, in fact, I'm guessing if you look at most of our closets, we'll see more than one pair of shoes. And, and none of us will think we have too many, right? Because even though we can only wear one pair at a time, we recognize that different shoes fit different occasions. Uh, there's shoes for athletics, right? If you're in the football, you're wearing different shoes than if you're in baseball or if you're in ballet. Uh, if you're uh, at work, you might wear wingtip dress shoes. Uh, you might have uh, slippers. Uh, you might have leather boots, uh, uh, steel-toed shoes, engineer boots. There's a whole wide variety of shoes that we can wear for work. And even socially, we understand that you don't wear high heels to a beach and you don't wear sandals to a welding shop, right? Uh, both of them are, are going to be uh, uh, disastrous. So shoes uh, uh, are very helpful and particularly so in a military context. If a soldier's feet are dry and uh, comfortable, uh, that soldier can be very mobile and do much damage to the enemy. But if a soldier's feet, I'm thinking Vietnam stories from vets, they'll tell that it was so wet, so mucky. Uh, they're, they're, in fact, the, the, the feet in some cases were the death of them. They, they died from what their feet went through, uh, uh, filled with uh, boots filled with mold, uh, with, with must, with every sort of disease because feet can't dry out. So shoes are huge in the military. And the gospel of peace in this passage is compared to shoes for a soldier. And they are great shoes for fighting when we put them on. So what we're looking at here, this gospel of peace, uh, provides us readiness to fight when we, put them, when we put it on like we would put on a pair of shoes. I want us to notice just two things. So first of all, what is the gospel of peace? And then how does it equip us? So we're called to put it on and, and it's supposed to benefit us. So what is it? And then how does it benefit us or how does it equip us to fight? So first, what is this uh, gospel of peace that Paul uh, talks about. So I want to break this down a little bit and kind of pause. Just push the pause button and slow down. So first, gospel. Just simply good news, good report. Uh, it's a good message. Uh, when someone gives a gospel, it's not an opinion or a philosophy of life or a way of thinking. It's a message. And it, it's a good message, but it, it's just that. It's a report. Absent someone's opinion of it. 
It's, it, it's simply an announcement. Uh, if, you, if you are familiar with news or media, it's the difference between journalism and commentary. We sometimes cross that line, right? Journalism is simply the reporting of facts, and then people make their own decision based on those facts. And you kill every adjective in journalism, right? An adjective describes opinion. That's what we think of it, to use an adjective. Journalism, you kill every adjective, you kill every adverb, and all you do is you just report what took place. Commentary, you have tons of adjectives ton because you're trying to give an opinion on an event. When the gospel comes, beloved, it's not commentary. There's plenty of commentary on the gospel, plenty of implications of it in the Bible. But when, when the gospel comes to us, it comes as an announcement, a declaration of events which have happened. Uh, it's, it's a declaration about someone or something that's just true. It just, it is what it is. And there's a call to respond to it. Again, that's commentary on it. But the gospel itself is just the passing along of information. And we're told in this passage that it's the good news of peace. Okay? Peace assumes war. So if, if peace is good news, then prior to this, there must be some sort of war. Otherwise, peace would be meaningless. So there's two warring parties, obviously. And we know from the scripture that those two warring parties are God and sinful human beings, which is all of us. Romans 5.8 makes this clear. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, sinners are at war with God. Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Romans 8, 7 to 8, the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Colossians 1, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. So beloved, it's we were enemies of God. We were at war with God at one point in time, after conception, sometime before we were saved. Every human being by nature comes into this world hostile to God and with God as an enemy. So those are the two warring parties, human beings and God. There's the war. Now into this war comes a great announcement. It's a message that's being proclaimed and it contains terms of peace. So imagine you're at World War II, you're, you're standing on the Normandy Beach shores and D-Day is about ready to hit. And before the war starts, you come on there and you say, hey, I've got terms of peace. Everybody would be loving it, right? Great, we don't have to die. We don't have to do this. Uh, what are the terms? We want to know what the terms are. And so, again, it's worth listening to. And I want to make very clear that the peace offered is not a message about downplaying the war with God. Uh, the Bible does not say, you know what? The way to work through our war with God is just to downplay it and kind of ignore it and put it on the back burner of life. That's not what the terms of peace are. The terms of peace aren't, hey, this actually isn't as big of a deal as you think it is. In fact, the Bible heightens the issue and says, actually, this is a bigger deal than probably we'd like to admit. The terms of peace also are not just a coping mechanism to help us feel better while we are at war with God. Hey, if you think this way, if you do this, it'll help you cope through it in your war with God. You can't remove the war, but here's a way to cope with this. Those aren't the terms of peace. No coping mechanism would be good enough to help us deal with a war between us and God. A war between us and God is sure failure for us. We're not going to end well uh, in that war. So the terms of peace are this. An announcement about something which has actually happened in history to bring peace between sinners and God. Well, what happened? What's the story? What's the announcement? Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe Colossians 1, 19 to 20 puts it even more clearly. 
In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's how peace is made, by the blood of the cross. So the good news of peace is that Jesus Christ bled and died. But how does this bring us peace with God? How does the blood of Christ bring us peace with God? Doesn't it just bring Christ peace with God and make peace between Jesus and God? How does that bring us peace? How do we get this peace? Well, a couple things to mention. It brings us peace with God, number one, because Jesus Christ went to war in our place. So when Jesus Christ bled, he didn't bleed because he needed to bleed. He didn't bleed because he needed his sins forgiven. When Jesus Christ made peace by the blood of his cross and he suffered and died, he did this because he was in our place. We needed him to do this. Another way of putting it is this. We picked a fight with God in the Garden of Eden and Jesus came and said, you're out of your league. God the Father said, they're out of their league. The Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity said, they're out of their league. They started a fight they can't finish. And he looked at us with mercy and said, I'm going to go down there and finish the fight. But that means the Trinity has to absorb our conflict. They have to have some sort of internal economic, not ontological in and of themselves, but economically in history, they have to work out this conflict. And so Jesus Christ on the cross is working out this conflict. He steps into our place. He taps us on the shoulder on the field of battle and says, you better get behind me. Because when the Father starts unleashing blows, you're not going to make it. So you get behind me. I'm on the battle line. We'll call this a civil war. It doesn't matter what side he's on, of course, north or south. You can pick your own sides. But we're in this battle, and you better get behind me, and I'm going to take this for you. I'm going to handle the war that you picked. You made a mistake in fighting it. You made a mistake in picking it. I'll take it from here. And then it happened one day. It unleashed. And it was quite amazing. To be there would have been amazing. Beloved, we can still read about it. It's in the Gospels. God the Father unleashed it. Jesus Christ was standing in our place, and the war happened. Every bullet was fired. It would have made D-Day look like a pittance, like nothing. Hundreds of thousands of allied troops, tons of ships, hundreds of thousands of bombs and bullets. It would have made that look like a pittance because all of heaven's might, all of heaven's justice, all of God's wrath against every one of the sins of his people that's ever been committed came out and every bullet landed right where it's supposed to land, right on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he fought the war and he won. And the way it's won is not by Jesus overcoming the Father, but Jesus exhausting the Father's wrath against our sin. And it's on that basis that we have peace. Those are the terms of peace. That's, how, that, that's the announcement of peace, this great news of peace. Really how? Jesus Christ came down and did for us what we can't do. He fought our war. He stood in our place. Now, I might be asking, great, how can I obtain this? Well, Romans 5.1 puts it this way. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So it's just faith. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now the war has come to an end. We have peace. But then there's a follow-up question as well. <laughs> if, if you're following this, someone might ask, if you're asking this, thank you for asking. I'm going to take some time to explain it. What does having peace with God mean? Is it just the cessation of war? And what peace means in the Bible is this, beloved. Peace is not just a ceasefire agreement. Like, well, we still can't stand each other's guts, but we're not going to be shooting bullets at each other anymore. In the Bible, when peace comes, it always has to do with reconciliation. 
You know, uh, that uh, famous uh, Publius Tacitus, the Roman lawyer and senator, had that famous uh, uh, saying regarding how, uh, you know, the Pax Romana, how, Romans, how the Romans created peace. Uh, they plunder, they slaughter, and they steal. And this they falsely name empire, the Roman Empire. And where they make a wasteland, they call it peace, right? <laughs> no one's fighting us anymore. There's nobody there. <laughs> the whole land is a desolation now. We've just wiped everybody out. It's actually a miserable place to be. But it's peace. Nobody's fighting us. That's not the peace that, that, that is between us and God now. That's not the gospel of peace. This peace doesn't mean just cessation of war. It also means, in addition to that, reconciliation with God. Again, Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So much more than a ceasefire, we are now reconciled to God. That's this gospel of peace. You know, in World War II, there was a massive rebuilding effort. Uh, Japan is fruit of that. It's one of the reasons why their industries took off. American industries became behind almost immediately because we have old technology in old buildings in Japan, new technology, new buildings. We got a rebuilding effort. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. The war is over, and now the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, and there's a rebuilding effort. We are rebuilt. We are reconciled. We are made as children, and we are brought into this family. I want to pause for a minute before we move to this next point. How does it equip us? And just ask something. How many of us think that God is against us right now? To the extent we do, it's going to be really hard to fight this spiritual battle. The gospel tells us that God is for us, that he loves us, that there's peace, there's reconciliation. How many of us believe it? I'm not asking if we think we're Christians or not. I'm saying how many of us actually live out of that? How many of us are sitting right now here suspecting in the back of our heads, though theologically we'd never say it, of course, and I've, I've got the same rustling if you don't, that you know what? I know theologically God is for me. I read it in his word. Romans 8 makes that crystal clear. But why, all, why is all the rest of this happening in my life then? Why all these difficulties? Why all these trials? God, surely there's got to be some moments where God is against me. If, we're, if, if we fashion the fight with the wrong enemy, we're in trouble. We're, we're not going to be able to fight this warfare very well, beloved. So Paul says, look, the readiness that we need, like shoes a soldier puts on, it's the gospel of peace. We've been reconciled to God. God is not against us anymore, period, no matter what we think. He's for us entirely, perfectly, since the day we've been converted. Well, how does this equip us, this great gospel of peace? How does it equip us? Uh, well, it gives us readiness. If you look at uh, uh, Ephesians 6.15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness or the preparation or the equipment, uh, some translations, but readiness is a great word, uh, given by the gospel of peace. The same word is actually used in Titus 3.1, where Paul writes, remind them to be ready for every good work. It, it has to do with readiness, with being prepared uh, for things. So the gospel of peace, when we put it on, actually makes us ready for the fight. Uh, we're equipped then. We're, we're ready to take on the devil in the strength that God supplies. How does it make us ready? Well, it makes us ready in the same way that shoes made a soldier in Paul's day ready. Uh, the, likely Paul's thinking of the uh, Caliga, I know nothing about Latin, just <laughs> that's what the scholars know. And these were uh, leather shoes that were sometimes called hobnail shoes. And in the hard bottom outsole, they would pound nails or bits of metal through it. And then they put a leather sole on the, as an insole and you'd wear that. 
And so it's kind of like uh, shingle nails for spikes, right? Or uh, probably not that long. And, and think of football cleats uh, with like a, a metal bottom to them. Uh, that's what the Roman soldiers would put on uh, in, in order to, to fight. And they were needed because soldiers did not fight on concrete floors. Uh, they fought in fields, they fought on rocks, they fought all over the place. And so they needed traction in order to fight well and destroy their enemy. A soldier can have a great shield, a great sword, massive forearms, great technique, have an awesome helmet that no bullet can penetrate. And yet if he can't move, if, he's, if he can't be mobile, if he can't get a sure footing where he is, then he's worthless. He, he or she is gonna be killed almost instantly. So shoes are vitally important for the fight. So a shoe actually provides a soldier three things. I wanna look at those and then we'll, then we'll close. Shoes provide stability, mobility, and protection. Stability, mobility or adaptability, and then protection. First, shoes provide us uh, uh, stability. And I'll, I'll say it this way, the gospel of peace that we put on like shoes provides us stability. One linguist uh, opening up this word preparation said this, his name is K.S. Wust. The word preparation uh, is used in classical Greek in the sense of establishment or firm foundation. Thus, the Christian soldier should see to it that his feet are equipped with the sandals which will give him a firm footing, namely the good news that speaks peace to a sinful heart. For the Lord Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, making a way for a holy God to reunite himself with a believing sinner who in Adam had been separated from him in his life. The point I want to make is that he's making is, look, this readiness has to do with stability, a firm footing. How does the gospel give us a firm footing? Well, it clarifies just, it gives us a firm footing in many ways, but I want to just point out two. A firm footing has to do with being able to stand firm and stay put. And I think we're able to stay put when we put on this gospel of peace and fight the battle better because it clarifies our enemies and our allies, which is very important. We have to know who we're fighting, who's for us and who's against us. When war erupts, uh, and I want to begin with, it clarifies our enemies. The gospel of peace helps us fight because it clarifies our enemies and that gives us stability in the fight. Uh, almost every combat veteran will say, uh, and the couple I've talked to have said that when the first bullets fired, the word to describe what happens next is chaos. All the rules are out the window. You're trying to navigate your way through this. You don't know what's happening, who's firing, where they're at, and you're just trying to keep your, yourself alive and your buddies alive, chaos. And that can, that's exactly what can happen when the fight hits spiritually, beloved. The devil shows up and he brings something into your life. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know where he is. But all you know is my life seemed like it was fairly orderly. And all of a sudden this chaos uh, around me makes things very stressful. Chaos creates stress. It creates panic. I remember uh, it was said of Ike, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, in his preparation for D-Day that he was, he was always a heavy smoker, but he was up to four packs a day and he was only sleeping for four hours. Why? Because they're going up against Hitler. Because this is a formidable foe. This is a big problem. This is stressful. Beloved, when Satan walks into our life and, and he starts this fight, things can become so chaotic that we actually think the formidable foe is God rather than Satan. And we can be way stressed out beyond belief because we don't have our enemy clarified. And then we become very unstable. We don't know what's up and what's down. What the gospel of peace tells us is when this chaos comes and Satan comes to attack, 
one thing we know. It's not God who is our enemy. It's not God coming out to get us. We're not fighting God. We're not fighting some unsurmountable enemy like a lot of the Allied soldiers felt like they were fighting before D-Day. Like, how are we going to do this? Will this even work? Beloved, we know that if we're fighting in the strength the Lord provides, we actually can be victorious. We actually can make progress. And so this gospel of peace clarifies uh, what we're up against. We're up against the devil, uh, not God. We need to be clear about this. We need to be clear about who the enemy is. Do we have this straight in our minds? What battles are we going through right now? And again, I'm going to ask this question again. Are some of us actually believing, I'm asking myself this too, that our battle is actually against God, that he's not for us? Because if that's the case, we're, we're not going to be able to fight well. We need to put on this gospel of peace. The other thing that uh, putting on this gospel of peace does, it gives us stability by clarifying our allies. So the gospel of peace tells us God's our ally now. He's for us. In fact, we fight in the strength that he provides. So we might be on the front lines, but God is the supply chain, right? He's working behind us, through us, in us, in this battle. We are not doing this alone. And that can give us great confidence. I remember I had a classmate in high school who had some older brothers who were really rough and tough. <laughs> and my classmate wasn't rough and tough. Easy to be picked on, but nobody touched him. More than that, he went through the high school halls pretty confident. Why? Because he knew if anybody touches me, my rough and tough brothers will come and deliver me. Beloved, it, that's a little bit of a picture of what it is for us in our lives too. Uh, we're going through the high school halls and we know that if the devil come and picks on us, God has more supply of strength than we would probably even dare want to use at our disposal to help us overcome these battles and fight through them. God is on our side. The gospel of peace clarifies that. It makes us clear. It gives us stable ground to know the devil's the enemy, not God. God's on my side and he's for me. And so now I can fight. So if we put the gospel of peace on, we get stability. We also get mobility or adaptability, meaning we can fight in different realms. When different temptations and struggles come our way, we're able to adapt. We're able to realize, you know, last year I had this temptation. This one's different. I need to change the way I think. I need to change uh, my devotional life. I need to change how I'm being held accountable by others in my relationships. Like there's tons of things. I need to change the way I think or what's going on in my heart. Beloved, shoes make someone adaptable. They make someone mobile. And I want to read a quote. It's two paragraphs from Lloyd-Jones. It was so good, I, I didn't even dare try and <laughs> paraphrase it or summarize it. I just want to read it. Because in it, he details how how much the devil changes his schemes, and so how necessary it is for us to be mobile in our spiritual fight, to put these shoes on. The devil often changes his methods. Sometimes he comes to you opposing you violently and condemning you. The next moment he will come flattering you. Sometimes he will come and bludgeon you on the head, as it were, and club you in order to make you do what he wants you to do. The next time he will employ a most sweet reasonableness. Sometimes he attacks the scripture. The next moment he will be quoting it as he quoted it to our Lord. One moment he comes to us and tells us that we are not good enough to be Christians. Another time he tells us that we are so good that we do not need the death of Christ in order to save us. Our lives are so good that God will accept us on our own merits. One moment he comes to us and tells us that we have to justify ourselves by our good works, that nothing counts with God but good works, and that if we do not live this good life and do good works, we are not justified. The next moment, he will come and tell us that works do not matter at all. As long as we say that we believe in Christ and his blood, 
Uh, we can go where and do what we like. One moment he comes to the Christian and says, do not overdo yourself. Look after your health, look after your interests, read more, do nothing. The next moment he comes and fills us with carnal zeal and makes us so busy that we ruin our health, perhaps, or do not have time to read at all. And so we lose our grip of the truth and do not know where we are. One moment the break is on, the next moment is wild fanaticism. The same devil tempts to both extremes. Nothing matters to the devil as long as he can get us into trouble. One moment he comes and fills us with doubts about truth and about the faith. The next moment he comes and fills us with credulity, which makes us ready to regard anything as a miracle and to expect signs and wonders constantly. He drives us to extremes and is perfectly happy as long as we are obeying what he tells us. One moment he persuades us to be lax. The next moment he will drive us to a morbid scrupulosity or make such legalists of us that we become afraid to move because we are hidebound by the law. Tons of different tactics, beloved, that the devil can use. And the gospel of peace makes us mobile because it does these things. It humbles us and it encourages us. It reassures us and it rebukes us. The gospel of peace destroys our good works and at the same time it encourages our good works. It tells us we are by nature worthless and it tells us that we are valuable. It tells us to rest and it tells us to get up and get to work. It tells us to live a peaceful and quiet life and it tells us to courageously witness for Christ and expect persecution. When we put on this gospel of peace, beloved, we're able to adapt to Satan's temptations and fight his various methods that he comes at against us with. And then finally, gospel shoes provide us protection. In military battles in Paul's day, sometimes enemy troops would take uh, sticks and sharpen them and they would bury them uh, right about flush with the ground and maybe put leaves or something over them so that when you charge toward them, uh, you would puncture your feet. If you didn't have strong enough shoes, your, your feet would be punctured and you'd just be rendered immobile. And so these collega, these Roman shoes that Paul's calling them to put on, us to put on, uh, would protect from those spikes and allow a soldier to, to continue to uh, take up arms and go forward in uh, the battle. And I think one of the things, two of the things the gospel of peace does for us to protect us is it protects us from under, underestimating the enemy and also protects us from overestimating the enemy. Uh, when it protects us from underestimating the enemy, um, uh, one of the biggest detriments of fighting a fight, one of the biggest hindrances is if, if we're in a fight and we don't respect our opponent, our pride can kill us. If we go into war as a country and we don't respect the opponent, and we underestimate them, that can have devastating effects on any military force. So beloved, the gospel of peace tells us that our enemy was so big, we couldn't fight the enemy on our own. We couldn't, we couldn't win this war. The gospel of peace tells us that it took God to fight this war on our behalf. Jesus Christ had to come down here and destroy the devil. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. We couldn't destroy him. So God's made peace between us and him and he's destroyed the devil, the one who has power over death, and he's on our side. So this tells us, the gospel of peace tells us that the devil was so big that we couldn't beat him. Therefore, we need to walk carefully. We need to realize that we do have fighting to do, that the devil is real, that he really comes and attacks, that he really is powerful, and he can really tempt us, and we can really fall. So that's one of the things that the gospel of peace can protect us by just giving us a mindset. Yep, Satan's real. His temptations are real. They're difficult. 
And I need to be on guard. I really have to be on guard. This is not something I can just mindlessly walk through in life. I'm walking through a minefield, be careful. But I think as well, the gospel of peace protects us from overestimating the enemy. And it does so by saying this, Satan's a defeated foe. This gospel of peace, we're reconciled with God. The devil was destroyed at the cross. God is on our side. He's working in us, through us, for us. Uh, and therefore, we can actually uh, uh, fight battle with Satan and we can win, not in our own strength, but because God's on our side. So where we're intimidated, where we're thinking, you know what, Lord, I've been fighting the same sin for months and years. I've seen no progress so far. I can't win. If that's our mindset, we're actually overestimating the devil because with the strength the Lord provides, we actually can make progress. We'll never be perfect, but we actually can make progress uh, when we understand that the devil has been defeated. So beloved, from this passage, we need to know that we're reconciled to God, that God has our backs in this fight, that he's not against us, but he's for us, and he's proven it to us in his son. Our fight is not with him. Jesus has already fought that fight for us. Our fight is with the devil. God is on our side in it, and we can make progress. Let's pray.